Hi, and welcome to the Genesis Podcast. I think it's so neat that you're able to join us through this medium, and it means so much to me personally to hear that this has been used to encourage so many of you. It has always been the posture of Genesis to tangibly extend the love of Jesus in various ways, both locally and across the world. We support programs that assist families in need, contribute to ongoing works and building projects in Mexico. We've built a latrine and cafeteria for St. Andre's School in Haiti, as well as are advancing a food program there that we hope will help feed the children for years to come. The money collected for all these endeavors could have paid for a facility of our own many times over, but instead, we've intentionally chosen to be a mobile community since we began. We now have before us an opportunity to invest in a building of our own. We are not doing this, however, without considering the works we are committed to or even the works we feel compelled to keep doing in the future. But we're asking, if you've benefited from this podcast or from anything that Genesis has done, would you consider partnering with us by donating to this work directly at www.thegenesisstory.com and click on the Building Fund tab. Joshua told the people, Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. Together, let's prepare for an amazing tomorrow. Thanks, and God bless. In talking about leadership, I'm going to start off this evening a little bit different. I want to ask you guys a question. What are some things that would be a hindrance to someone being a leader? What are some qualities, character qualities, um, some attitudes that would be a hindrance to someone being in a leadership position in a faith community like Genesis or a Christian faith community? What's that? Pride. Pride. Quick to anger. What's that? Not willing to listen. listen. Okay. Not willing to take correction. Anything else stand out to you of things of like a leader, this would rub you the wrong way if the leader did this or acted this way or had this mentality? Gossiper. Gossiper. Okay. Impatient, arrogance, okay. And, and so really all these things are things that are kind of anti what we see in Jesus, right? Jesus was patient, you know, Jesus wasn't arrogant, you know, was not prideful. Um, didn't really need to be corrected, but he was submissive to the Father. Yeah, definitely slow to anger, all those things that we see in Corinthians chapter 13, or the fruit of the Spirit, we definitely see in Jesus. Um, And and so I think that's important to recognize, because I'm going to talk tonight about pride, humility, greed, and generosity. Um, But first, we're going to watch a movie that I hope makes everyone think, okay? And then we'll talk about the movie. So, we ready, Gil? Turn your chairs this way. And you can watch. It's only like six minutes. I don't expect to answer this question, whether people should be known for the worst things 
they've done. I think it is very complicated, but there's something something that took place through this that I wonder if it stood out to you. Did anyone notice anything that changed? Like when they would ask that question, do you want to be known for the worst thing you've ever done in your life? What did people say? No. And then when they would say, what about other people? Yeah, the murderer, pedophile. Do you think they should be known for the worst thing? And then what did they say? Yeah, it's like... Maybe, right? There was one the ladies there where she said, no, I wouldn't. Then she said, they asked, well, what about a criminal? She said, yes, they should be, right? It was like no or yes. And it is a complicated. And this isn't to say that there shouldn't be justice, that there shouldn't be consequences for crimes. But I want you to notice that everyone except for the last person. This is why I thought it was interesting. The last person, he seemed like he had a little chip on his shoulder, right? It's like, yeah, no, I can't get a job anywhere. Well, I know criminals who have, you know, have made it. But everyone had this standard that was used for them, and then there's a standard that's used for others. Okay? And what that is at the heart is pride. It is that I see myself in a certain way where I think I deserve this treatment, but I see everyone else in another way that I think they might deserve that treatment. Pride is always comparing. It's always a comparison between one or the other, okay? Um, C.S. Lewis said of pride that there is one vice which no man in the world is free, which everyone in the world loathes when he sees it in someone else, and of which hardly any people ever imagine that they are guilty themselves. And that's pride. Okay? It's that hidden thing. And we might all say, oh, I know I have pride. Do you know to the amount or to the degree you have pride? Probably not, right? I don't think I do. And then you see a video like this, and then it, it questions these things, and all of a sudden you're, you're having to stop and say, well, yeah, I don't think I want to be known for the worst thing I've ever done, but maybe he should, because I don't know what he did. And why is the standard different? Because what he did is worse than what I did, based on who? Based on what I think. Who put you in charge of setting the boundaries and what's going to happen, Right? Societal-wise, there has to be levels of criminality where, you know, a murder is going to be worse than telling a lie or, you know, stealing a piece of gum. It should be. There should be a higher crime for those kinds of things than for smaller things because they don't affect society as much. But how we see that person, that's another thing. And even at the end where he said, people can people change. Can they? Do we believe they can? And so we believe, or at least we've been kind of holding to the point, it's really up to these people to make choice. There's a lot involved, but God holds us accountable to the decisions we make. But what happens when you have a murderer who repents and turns around? Should he be accepted? Paul was, right? David, everyone thinks David's a great guy. 
right? He was an adulterer and a murderer. And so how we see things is always determined by the standards that we're setting. Pride leads really to every other vice. It's an unhealthy understanding of ourselves in relationship to others. And that's why pride is always comparing because it brings enmity between us and others. You see, there's pride based on um, social class. You know, how many people have felt like I've been looked down because I live on the wrong side of the tracks? You know, I can remember Corrine going into a store with the four little ones and she had the feeling like some people were like judging her. You know, because it was like a summer and, you know, my wife, she gets really tan. And so she was really dark and here she is and she was, I forget where, but she just felt like these people were just like looking at her. And I think someone made a comment like, oh, my gosh, you see all this kid she had? And it's like, what? you know, and, you know, if you know my wife, she's one to talk um, at a moment like that where she's going to like, are you really saying that? Um, but all of a sudden it's like, well, those people. So it can become social class. It can be ethnic, right? I mean, we know that uh, race plays a part in most of the violence that is taking place in the world today. Um, why? Because pride that my race is better than your race. It, it takes place in um, our cultures. Our country is better than your country. It takes place in religion. My religion is better than your religion. And all these things are comparative. My religion doesn't do this. My country doesn't do this. Therefore, I'm better. And once we start comparison, pride comes in there, and we need to be aware of that. Turn with me to Romans chapter 12, verse 1. Because we have to draw some lines here between healthy confidence and unhealthy overconfidence or an unrealistic expectation of ourselves. And in Romans chapter 1, verse 1, Paul writing to a church that has a lot of pride in their ethnicity. You have the Jewish people who are God's people, and now you have the Gentiles who are coming into a relationship with God. And so there's that tension, just to set a little backdrop. In verse 1, he says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Verse 3. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. So Paul is encouraging us to have sober judgment. And I love the wording here because it's almost like you're intoxicated with this idea that you have a place that is better than someone else. You're, you're intoxicated with this idea that you are more privileged than someone else because of your ethnicity, because you're a Jew, because, and you could bring it into our, you know, culture, because you're American, you're better, right? 
we're better, those kinds of things. And all of a sudden there's this kind of conflict that's taking place. And it reminds me of when people do karaoke and they do it very badly, but they do it with all their heart, right? It's kind of like they have no idea how bad they really sound, and they might think they really sound good, especially if they've been intoxicated, right? They're belting it out, and it's like, oh, that's terrible, but they think they sound good. Why? Because they're intoxicated with their own voice. They got an idea. They think they're a rock star. I'm singing this, and I'm, man, I, I'm, I know this song. You know, don't stop the feeling. And they're just singing Journey, you know, and it comes to the high notes and they just crash, right? It's like, okay, you're no Steve Perry. You you ain't going to make it, buddy. And, And so they're intoxicated with the idea of who they are, but not the reality of what's really happening. And you see, that is something that we have to guard ourselves against. Anyone who's going to be in a position of leadership needs to guard against that kind of intoxication about themselves. That, you know what? I really am God's person. I'm really anointed. Boy, what I shared with that counseling, that was so of God. Now, it may have been really, really good. But don't think yourself more highly than you should. You had something good to give, It was because God gave you something good. It was by grace, okay? You took the gift that God gave and you put it to use. What are you boasting about? It's nothing that is of you in that sense. Now, it's good to be aware. If you're a good counselor, it's good to know. You can counsel. I know people who can counsel really well, and I know people who should not counsel. I've been in counseling appointments and I'm thinking, that's terrible advice. That's just awful. And that person is a counselor. And boy, that's a terrible thing. But they thought they were great. And so we've got to be careful of these things, okay? We need to recognize that there is so much more that we have to learn in no matter what area of ministry you're leading in. If you're doing uh, a teaching, there is so much more you can do to become a better teacher. There is so much more information that you could get and understand. The, The depths of who God is is unsearchable, and so to think that you've got it covered is really foolish. But even, you know, yeah, I'm the best at whatever it is, you're, you're taking that and saying a little too much about yourself. Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, concerning food offered to idols, we know that all of us possess knowledge. This knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. If anyone imagine that he knows something, he does not yet know as he ought to. But if anyone loves God, he is known by God. And so the whole idea now is that you... Your knowledge doesn't give you an edge on anyone else. Your knowledge doesn't make you better, because that was the context of 1 Corinthians 8. Was, oh, we don't eat food that's sacrificed to idols. We have more awareness of what's really happening. And Paul says that knowledge means nothing. But love, that's communication with God. 
And, and so I have to deal with this myself. And I do want to be transparent with all of you as I'm leading in a role of a pastor here at this church that these are areas that I find myself struggling with. There are churches that I strongly disagree with. I really disagree with how they present the gospel. I disagree with how they interpret scripture. But you know what? That is not what's most important. What's most important is love. That's where the clarity is. That's where, you know, you sit. Um, I forget who it was I heard, um, might have been Richard Rohr, that talked about the communion table is where we're all the same. You know, when we come to that communion table and we break bread, we're all in the same position where we've received the grace of God. It's been broken for us. His blood has been poured out for us and we share that together. That the ages to come, that is gonna be something that's fundamentally there. That, that's the things that are our foundation, okay? And so if you believed, you know, if you're a Calvinist and you believe, you know, that God uh, determines who is going to know him or who isn't going to know him, um, I so disagree with that. And, I, you know, it makes me mad. It really does. That form of thought just angers me. But I can't get proud over that. I can't think I'm better than someone because of that. I just have to, with my heart, move forward with what I believe God has called me to, but I'm no better than that person who preaches things in that way that I can't stand. I'm no better. And I have to understand that because God doesn't love me more or think that, oh, Sam, it's a good thing you're on my team. See, then I don't know really as I ought to know. I, I don't understand. It's more than I really understand, that I, I haven't understand or come to grips with the fact that I don't know yet what I ought to know. And so these are the things that are important. This is interesting. Do you guys know what the word sophomore means? Mm-hmm. The Greeks articulated a paradox of having knowledge without wisdom through the term sophomore. A sophomore had a little bit of knowledge, but not a lot of wisdom. Isn't that interesting? Next time you say, I'm a sophomore. (laughs) Right? You got a freshman, they're here, they supposedly don't know what's going a sophomore. It's like you're here, but you don't really know what you should. The whole idea is you have a little bit of information, but not a lot of wisdom to back that information. The word sophomore actually means wise fool. The meaning that they have gained a lot of knowledge yet still are incapable of behaving wisely. And, and we see this reality really everywhere, if we're honest. And do we see it in ourselves? Do we see the fact that, you know, I, I, I have a lot of knowledge, but I still act pretty foolish. Every now and then I catch myself and it's like, wow. Okay, Sam, did that really come out of your mouth? Did you really feel and act and think that way? That was very immature. And it's like, well, I've been following Jesus a long time, but it's still there. And so I'm still a sophomore in a lot of ways, and I think we all are. And we have to face this pride that's in us. There has to be a realization that that's there. If we are unaware of it, 
and we don't come to terms with it, then that's the karaoke guy who doesn't know how bad he sounds, right? That, that's not going to help us grow past that. And so having an awareness about pride is, I think, one of the most important things that a leader can show. It's a self-distrust when it comes to my perception that I have to go to God for a clear perception. I, I have to have Jesus's viewpoint of what love looks like and not just mine. I have to have Jesus's understanding of how to move forward in something and not just mine. Otherwise, like the people on the video, yeah, I don't want to be known for my worst events. Oh, but they should be known, right? You who's without sin cast the first stone, right? And depending on the room, well, okay, my sin's not as bad as you guys, so I'll go ahead, you know? That's because you're not in the room with Jesus. I think C.S. Lewis said that how do you deal with a Christian who is so full of pride? You know, what do you do with that? A person who says they know God and yet you see so much pride in them. He says they're fooling themselves. They have no idea who God is if they're so full of pride that they can't see it. Because pride is enmity against people and against God. And that's a scary thing. I don't want to have that in my relationship with God. I don't want to be that person who is blind to my obstruction in that relationship with God. We have to face those things. And oftentimes people who are young in leadership um, have a lot of excitement, have a lot of zeal. I know I did. And I know I was very arrogant in my early uh, leadership days. And I look back at it, and now it stands out to me. It's like, oh, gosh, did you used to say those things? And did you used to act that way? And it's embarrassing. It really is. And I imagine it'll be embarrassing in 10 years when I look back again. At least I hope so. I hope I grow in 10 years where I look back and am embarrassed of how I am because that just means I'm moving forward, all right? And so looking back, that zealousness, if it's not with humility, then there's a problem. And the whole idea of humility, humility is not having a, a low view of yourself. It's actually having kind of little view of yourself. It's not thinking of yourself as less. It's just thinking less about yourself. And that's why we see Jesus. He thought of others more important than himself. That's what we want. And that's what it is for us. And so there's a lot of questions that I kind of wrote down um, as I thought about how foolish I've been and then the things that are before me and decisions that I have to make that just want to keep me humble, want to keep me as like, I really need help. I don't know all these answers. Like, how do you handle difficult people? Are you patient with them? Are you loving with them? Are you trying to encourage them? Or do you just want to get rid of them? Because I've been a difficult person. There's that same question. Do you want to be known for the worst? No. How do you deal with the worst in others? If you deal with a difficult person, how do I deal with difficult people? How do you know what is morally right and wrong? Now, some things are pretty clear. 
But every now and then, someone will come up with, to me and ask me some things about a situation with their kids and what they're doing, and they want to know what's right or wrong. Am I going to be the one who makes that decision? You know, I have back problems, and I found that medical marijuana helps my back problems. Is it okay for me to use medical marijuana to help my back problems? You're asking me? Am I the one who has to make that decision? How do I make that decision? And again, these are things that I, I, these answers sometimes, you know, they're, I don't want to just say, yeah, go for it. Because what if that person has other issues? I have to be careful in these things. I need to have a low view of my understanding of situation so I can lean into it carefully, right? And not just, yeah, I know this one. That's not a problem. How do we discern between, again, the right and the wrong in that situation? You know, a wife says, my husband's been having an affair, and it's been going on for years. He stopped once, but he's having another affair. Is it okay for me to get a divorce? How do you discern between right and wrong? Am I the one who, oh, well, the Bible says here, and it's this. You know, those are tough decisions. That's a complicated thing. Even as they were talking in the video, you know, some of these things are complicated. It's like, yeah, you don't want people to be known, but you don't want them to get away with things either. And so how do you dance that line? And so there's some things, it's like, how do you morally and just go through what's the right thing? What's the wrong thing? Um, when people ask me what career they should pursue, how do I know? I, you know, again, I've been in a room with the pastor who told a person what they should not do for their job. You should not be a realtor. And the guy was all set on becoming a realtor. And the guy had issues. I mean, he had a lot of issues. But I just kind of thought, do you get to make that call? Is that your job to tell him what he can't do? You know, is is that okay? You know, I often think of Jesus when the the brother came up to him and said, Jesus, you know, we've got our father's inheritance. Tell my father to give me my inheritance so I can do it. Jesus says, what do I have to do with that? Don't, that's not my job. I'm not going to be brought into your thing if that's not my thing. I don't have to know everything. And it's pride that will make you answer when you should be silent. Because you want to look good. You want to be the one who knows everything. See, what made pastors the ones who discern what's right economically, who discern what's right for you medically, who discern what's right for you relationally? I mean, is that really the pastor's job? I hear from God, so I know what job you should take. I know what medication you should take. I know how you should move in this relationship because I know all the details. Really? Pride would make me step into that. Well, I'm pastor, so I hear from God, and this is what I want you to do. Really? You see, these are areas where I found myself having to back down and say, I don't know. I'm not going to answer. I'll ask some questions, and then hopefully you'll have insight into that, but I don't know. I'm not the person who can best answer that. I don't know what career you should pursue. What do you want to do? Um, how should we spend our money? I don't know. Well, I think you should give it to the church. You know, I mean, what, what are you going to say? How do we approach people who believe differently than us? I ran into some people today. 
and I've known them from a long time, but these are people who, again, are part of another church that is I don't agree with. And it's like when I first saw them, it's like, oh, I know these people because I've had communication with them in the past, and how am I going to respond to them? And it was great. We had a great time. It was just, how are you? How are the kids? What's going on? And I was fine. I felt really good that I just want to know, how are you doing? How's, you know, your husband? is. How's the job? What's going on? How are the kids? What's happening? They asked me the same thing. It, was, it wasn't a theological, so do you still believe? You know, it, it was just kind of how do we approach people who are different? Do I feel that I have the right to impose my view on them? Even if I know that they're different, how do I oppose? You see, say there's someone who has a faith that is different, a Muslim. And I want to bring an awareness of who Jesus is to them. How I do it is vital to whether it's going to be receptive or not. I found it really interesting that what the Christians who live in Muslim countries do is they don't try to convert them or ask them to not be Muslims. They just introduce them to Jesus. They don't say you need to stop being a Muslim. You need to stop, you know, seeing Allah or, you know, Muhammad as a prophet. They just introduce them to Jesus and they never ask them to leave their faith. They never ask them to change anything. They just introduce them to Jesus. You see, it's pride that makes me want to be right and you wrong. So for you to come to my faith, you need to stop praying that way and you need to stop doing that and you need to stop doing that why because i'm right you're wrong no they're winning souls by going to them and introducing jesus and then jesus does the work in their hearts that converts them and there's an incredible amount of people coming to faith in christ because of what god is doing through those christians who were never asked to stop being muslims isn't that interesting but for us, oh no, you can't be a Muslim. I've even had people say, you know, well, Allah and God are different. I go, not if you live in that country. If you're a Christian, you say Allah, because that's the name for God. And to them, that's like, no, that's, that's a different God. Not if you live in Saudi Arabia, you say Allah, even if you're a Christian, because that's the word you use. Just like we use God, and they might use the word Elohim, it's the word that we use. It's the word they use. You see, it's pride that says, no, you can't use that word. And again, as leaders, we need to be careful of these things. Um, how do we know who we can trust with our hearts? That's a tough one. If you're going to be leading, you have to have people that you can open your heart to. Who do you open your heart to? How do you know that? You have to have humility to be able to do that. And you need to be able to do that. And you have to have wisdom to be able to do that well. And so these are areas, again, where as leaders, pride can stop us from moving forward. How do we share truth without alienating or wounding other people? How do we lead those who are entrusting a large part of their spiritual journey to us? You know, Every now and then, someone will say something to me that kind of freaks me out. They'll say, oh, you've, you know, you've changed my life or something like that. And, and I'll be like, uh, what did I do? How, you know, is it a good thing or is it a bad thing? You know, what, what happened that changed your life? And, and, you know, you hope for it to be good, but is it? 
Are you making sure that you're doing something that is going to be lacking your pride and be something that helps elevate who Christ is? Because those are things. I mean, we need to be engaged um, in conversations about things like this. They're important for us to communicate in this level with these people. And, you know, we have to be able to even share our faults, the things that we did so that people can learn from our mistakes. That's what the scripture is full of those things, right? I mean, we know from what we see from David, don't do that. We even see from Peter, you know, he was rebuked because of his prejudice and not wanting to be seen with the Gentiles. We learn from those mistakes. Well, people can learn from your mistakes. Are you too proud to let people know? I did a class at uh, one of the Terranovas, and Irwin and a few other communicators were there. And one of the things he, Irwin said that really stood out to me is that when you go through, he had people get up and share certain stories. And this one girl shared her story about her student who did this really well and that she failed to do something well. And Irwin says, because you put her in the position that she succeeded and you as the example of what it wasn't, you're a rock star. Because you gave a good example of what not to be and you used yourself instead of someone else. That's great. Being able to use those weaknesses in a way that help people see that and then they help see your humanity. It's like, okay, I'm a person just like you. And so I have to be able to convey those things and admit my weaknesses. Um, they require us to think through these things. If you're going to lead, you need wisdom. You need guidance. You need to be dependent. You need to fear the Lord. That's the beginning of wisdom. You, you need to rely on his insight for us and for life. I mean, that's the wisdom that we get, it's how we glean through the things and the teachings of Jesus, how we, how we see scripture through the life of Jesus. That's where I try to get wisdom from. And I want to line it up to that in, in those ways. James chapter one, a familiar verse, verse five, it says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given him. I think what's most revealing about this verse is that wisdom isn't elusive, it's not exclusive, it's not a spiritual gift. It's there if you ask for it. What's also illuminating about this verse is you probably need to ask for it. That's why he's saying it. This should be a regular prayer. Lord, give me wisdom. Lord, give me wisdom. Every morning, what if we just woke up and said, Lord, give me wisdom for this day? I remember making it a point when I, my kids would go off somewhere. It's like, oh, Friday night, we're going to go with our friends. Be wise. That's what I would tell them. Be wise. You know, I, I don't know what else I can tell you. Be wise, you know, because if not, you, we will know. You know, but the whole idea is asking this for ourselves. You know, God gives it freely for those who ask from God. So we need wisdom. God, give me wisdom. How do I deal with this situation? My friends who are going through this struggle with their church when I was talking with them, it's like, God, give me wisdom. And here's, again, being honest to you guys. What I wanted to do 
let's tell them to come to Genesis, right? Well, just come here. We love you. But what I felt God wanted me to do was help them grow in this process. And the process was similar to one that I've been through. And so I shared with them some things that I thought, these are good guidelines for you. And I'm trying to walk through this without tainting it with my desire for what I want that's really just myself. It's pride. And so find out motivation of why these things happened. That would be an important thing for you to get more information, know why they made this decision, so that you have more clarity of what you want to do. Those are the things I started talking to them about so that they understood that, okay, yeah, that's wrong, this is right. No, find out the motivation, see where the direction where they're going, see how that fits with you and where you want to be. And so those are the kinds of things where I need wisdom. I don't want to be blinded by my pride or my own self-confidence and things. So one of the things that's important for us to do is get input from other people because we're blind to a lot of what happens to us. And so sometimes asking people, what's happening in me? Are there any things that you see that can need, need fixing? I recommend not asking a spouse, okay? I, I do. Or family members, because they'll, they'll start saying a lot of things. Um, I recommend asking people who you are comfortable with. Hey, you know, when I speak, are there any things that I'm not doing well or that I could do better? Or when I'm, you know, communicating with so-and-so, you know, we had a talk, how, did, how do you think that went? And getting their advice. When we did this event, do you think it went well? Well, it was kind of sloppy, and we had a lot of problems with this and that, and the money you know, went, didn't go as far as it should have. And, and take, the invi- take the advice from other people and take the criticism. You see, if people say, you know what, man, that was terrible. It really, it really went bad. Or, you know, when you talk... It's all about you. When you're in a conversation, this doesn't even have to be what you're doing with leadership. It could be in relationship. right? You see, greed shows up not just in money. Greed shows up in relationship. You know, our conversations are really all about you. They're all about what you're doing. They're all about what you're going through. And it's kind of greedy. Can you receive that and learn from that? Or are you going to be like, well... Okay, well, I'm not going to talk to you again. Because that's where I go, truthfully. It's like, well, that's where I like, okay, well, I'll see if I ever open up to you again. But you see, they just gave me helpful information. Maybe I am being too self-centered. Maybe my conversation is all about me. And you see, greed takes more than it gives. It's always consuming and it's not creating. And so is my relationship with people greedy? There are some people who come up to me and I almost start to cringe because they're going to come up to me and they will start talking to me for like five, ten minutes about all the problems in their life. And I know I'm a pastor, but I mean, sometimes it's like, I can't help you with that. I I don't even know who your husband is and I, I 
can't help you with the work situation. I'm not your boss. I, they just start unloading all these things. Oh, that's terrible. That's terrible. It's terrible. It's terrible. Okay, it's terrible. You know, and then I, I, I need courage to be able to, to kind of push into it and say, what's good going on in your life? You know, because you, you're, you're giving me a lot of stuff. What am I supposed to do with this? Am I the one who's doing this? I call them pigeon people. You ever see pigeons where you throw seeds down and they just want more? Like you put seeds down and they just peck. They never come up and say, thank you for the seeds. They just start pecking at your feet because they want more. They just want more. They want more. They want more. They want more. Some people just want more and want more and want more and want more. I don't want to be one of those people. And I want to help people not be that but you see, the minute you say, you know what? Every time I talk to you, you complain. I told that to a guy. I never talked to him again. He stopped coming up to me, stopped coming to Genesis. He just, it's like, hey, man, every time you come, you've got a problem. You know, I, I want to do what I can, but have you noticed that? Everyone you talk to, it's kind of like an Eeyore thing. He goes, well, I guess I won't talk to you. No, that's not, I'm just trying to make you aware of it because people are going to start detouring you. If that's all that happens, you know, I want to try and help people. And maybe I didn't say it as well as I should have, but some people are, are just like that. They're like pigeons that are constantly wanting, wanting, wanting. When they feel that they're entitled, I have the right to your time. I have the right to your attention. I have the right as a, a leader. I have a right to your respect. Right? When a person in leadership tells you what you have to do as far as being a part of a community. And, and what I say by that, have to do, it, it's when it's in line with, okay, if you want to be a part of this community, you can't do this, this, and this, right? You can't go to other Bible studies if you're going to be a part of this church. It's like, what? What, why, do you, why do you have the right to say that? Why are you entitled to that voice in my life? How is that scriptural, right? Where I have the right to tell you how to live your life. And, and some people get this entitlement, especially in that area of leadership. We need to be careful that that's not us. Because entitlement lives and breathes for one purpose. It's to consume, to gather, to take. It's ugly. Right? I'm entitled to this. I'm entitled to this uh, attention. I'm entitled to your respect. I'm entitled to the money. I'm entitled to these things. And pretty soon it, it starts to consume those people. And, and you can try and disguise it, you know, but, you know, make it look ambitious. But when you're living an entitled thing, it, it's really selfish. It's greedy. And the opposite of greedy is generous. It's learning to be generous. You see, again, C.S. Lewis said that every vice is a virtue gone wrong. We're created to desire. We're created to want. We're created to do better. Jesus said, if you want to be great in God's kingdom, he didn't say you shouldn't want to be great. He said, if you want to be great, here's how you're great. You become the servant of all. Ah, oh, that's great. You see, being great is part of our desire. 
Everyone wants to do something that matters. Everyone wants to be significant. Everyone wants to do something that's of value. Everyone wants to have an impact on the people around them. We want to be great. There's nothing wrong with that, but here's how you do it. You serve. You give. You're humble in these things. The problem isn't the desire for greatness. It's understanding it in the light of Christ. Jesus said in Matthew 20, you know the rulers and the Gentiles lord over them and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant. Whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the son of man did not come to serve, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. And power really is what pride enjoys. It's what greed consumes to have power. But the heart of Christ and the heart of a leader in the kingdom of God is the one who relinquishes power and wants to empower others. And so my job, if I'm going to be a leader, is to help others lead. It's to help empower other people to be more powerful, not to make myself more powerful. Jesus said in Luke twelve fifteen, take care, be on your guard against all covetousness for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possession. Covetousness again is greed. Philippians four eleven. not that I am speaking of being in need for I have learned in whatever situation to be content for I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound and in every circumstance I have learned the secret of Facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. We need to recognize that so that we can be sufficient in the grace that God has for us in the position that we're at, not wanting a position, but wanting a relationship with God and wanting to encourage others in that relationship with God. That's why... We are living for Christ. That is what it means to be Christian. We are like Christ in these areas. It's in our conduct. In Colossians chapter 3, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind or your affections on the things that are above, not on the things on the earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is your life Appears, then you will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Again, the passion is dealing with the sexual passion. Put away these things that are consuming you and instead live for God. Put your mind in that state. Um, have you ever found yourself discontent with your situation? Anyone? No? Okay. We'll move on. Have you ever found yourself perpetually preoccupied with wanting more? Maybe wanting a promotion. Um, wanting to be looked highly upon by others. Wanting others to recognize you. Well, maybe not perpetually, but just wanting that. Um, those are signs of what your desire is. What are you desiring? I'm not happy where I'm at. I'm unsatisfied. I'm 
wanting and I'm wanting. If, if that's a continual situation in your life, then there's probably something going on in your heart that needs a little check. I'm never satisfied. Why not? Maybe what you're wanting isn't what you need. Maybe you're wanting and thinking that the promotion will bring satisfaction. Maybe you're wanting and thinking the relationship will bring all that you need. You know, there are people, I just need a, a wife. I just need a wife. I just need a wife. And then they get a wife and it's like, oh God, I have a wife. You know, it's, I mean, there are a lot of people that that happens to. They think that's what they need. That's what they need. That's what they need. And they never understood that they were just consuming, consuming, wanting, wanting, wanting. And now they're in a relationship and that person doesn't fill the need. And so this person who was having struggle with lust thought that he would get married and his wife would cure his lust. He got married and he still lusts, even though he's married. And now he's dealing with the problem of lusting and being married. Yes. Yeah, be grateful. Definitely grateful. I think leaders are people who should excel in gratitude. If you're going to be a leader, lead in gratitude. Be a person who's grateful. Don't be a person who complains. Again, these are things that speak to my heart because I can complain a lot. There's times where I just find myself um, really complaining, and probably more to my wife than anyone else, but she's quick to tell me, you know, stop it. You know, it, it's something that we really have to be aware. I, am I going to be grateful because I follow Christ and I should have gratitude? And if I'm going to lead, let it be that, by that example. Some things that we should do. We should practice secrecy. And maybe this is even some things that you guys can do for homework this week. Do something nice for someone and make sure no one knows about it. Just be generous. Today, Lauren went to Starbucks and, you know, someone bought her a drink for her. You know, she doesn't know who it was, you know. And so she paid it forward. But first she asked, what did they order? <laughs> so she didn't pay like $20. But, you know, do something that no one will know and be uh, able to thank you for. Just do something secretly. Do good. You know, be kind to a friend at work. Um, you know, remember someone. Serve someone anonymously. You know, it, it pushes against that greedy mentality when you do something with, uh, with no possibility of recognition. I'm just doing it because it's a good thing to do. Cultivate a generous spirit. Invite other people uh, to do some things with you, you know, and involve other people with you. Identify them. You know, sometimes what I do, or one of my faults again, is I get tired and I just want to be alone. Anyone else do that? It's like, I'm tired. I don't want to deal with anybody right now. And so that can happen. I mean, sometimes like on a Sunday morning, because I'll stay up late on a Saturday night, I'll get up early on a Sunday morning, and then I'll give my talk. And sometimes it takes a lot out of me, even though it's just one talk. And then, you know, I was like, well, I just want to go home and chill. And someone, you know, well, let's go out to lunch. It's like, oh, I don't, why wouldn't I want to go out? You see, and, and indulge in that kind of uh, generative spirit. Cultivate that. Encourage those things. Make those things a reality with you so that they, you, get, you break the, the isolation, you know, because that's what I need to do. I need to break the isolation. You know, one of the things that I've been doing recently in breaking the isolation is I'm with a group of dog trainers 
online where we're having a lot of interaction about how to deal with difficult dogs and things. And, and it's so interesting because I've been training dogs that people, oh, I know you. Oh, aren't you the pastor at that church? And it's like, maybe, you know, it's like, <laughs> it's like, okay, so it's being a, a connection point for me with other people. That's what I've always wanted it to be. And so now I'm actually involved with other trainers and I'm having dialogue with them uh, online and I'm friends with them on Facebook. And now we're Facebook friends with other dog trainers. And it's just a way of breaking that isolation. You know, I know, I know pastors who's, you know, like they'll have their Facebook private. I don't want anyone to know. It's like, what? You're a pastor. You know, aren't you supposed to be visible? It's like, well, no, I don't want anyone to know my Facebook. What, what's the secret? You know, I, I have one person I block because he's crazy and threatened, you know, violence. So I'm going to block him. Um, but other people, why not invite those things? You know, make time for other people uh, for those things. Uh, so carve out significant time to be generous, to connect with people. Um, also... I think one of the most important things as a leader is to develop uh, just time and meditation and prayer so that you can hear from God and so that you can be aware of yourself. If you're not still, it's hard to really hear what's going on. And so there's times where my house is never quiet, hardly, but when I'm driving, I can have an hour of quiet. Sometimes I'll turn off the podcasts and I just have time where I just get to kind of be in that place. And even though I can't close my eyes, I just try and have time where I'm just thinking about God and what he's wanting to show me. Um, just having a kind of meditation about circumstances um, or maybe something that I'm aware of in my life. Like, you know what? There is this uh, isolation point of my life and I'm aware of it, God. I don't want to deal with this. Help me to deal with this. God, just make me aware when that starts to come up. Help me to say yes to these things. Or it might be, God, I say yes to everything. Help me to say no to some things, right? Depending on who you are, that might be the situation. And, and so these are efforts that I facilitate, you know, to try and develop in my own life that combat pride, that combat greed, that develop um, humility and try and develop that generous spirit. Because that's what a leader in Christ should look like. Any questions or any thoughts, or maybe I wasn't clear on something that you would like made a little bit more clear? I think it's a different point of realization. It's like you have the potential physically, but you don't see the potential in your conscience. And I think that's fair to say. I mean, people say the same thing like, oh, well, anyone could commit adultery. It's like, well, no, I don't, I don't go to that place. I don't think I will, you know, because I don't want to do that. Um, doesn't mean, does it mean I never don't mean have the possibility? No, everyone has the possibility, you know, but it's not within me to want to do that. I think it's okay to see the difference. I think one of the points, though, that is making is that, you know, the humanity that is in that person is the same humanity that's in you. Where that person did this crime, you might be more inclined to another crime. You know, so the person who did, uh, you know, rob the bank, 
you know, he's so sorry, but he's proud that he didn't, he's never unfaithful to his wife. You know, okay, well, that's good. You weren't unfaithful, but you shot the person. You know what I mean? And, and I'm telling you, I, there are people, you'll meet them on the street. They're proud of the things they don't do, but then you look at what they do. Are you going to, is that? <laughs> and that, that's exactly it. Those are the things that we don't realize. You know, it's the person, and that's what pride does. It blinds you to those things, and it, it, and that's why I wanted to show that video at the beginning. It's like, oh, I don't want to be known for the worst thing I did, but yeah, they should be. Why? Because their worst thing is worse than my worst thing. I always think of, um, I don't remember the names, but there was the uh, person who was uh, in a Nazi concentration camp, and one of the people who worked at the camp, you know, where just the slaughtering was taking place of the Jews. They saw the person who had done some of the killing and stuff who was in charge of one of those things and he just started crying because the wickedness that he saw in them, he knew that he was human just like him. In other words, he says, I'm just like him. I'm a human being. And even though he was on the other side of that, he saw what humanity could do and he saw himself as a part of that humanity which I thought was really interesting. You know, even though he wasn't on the side of, he was on the victim side, but he said, I, I can see that I'm a part of that. And maybe that's a, a healthy way of looking at it. We're a part of humanity, so the weakness is there. It's really our job to bring wholeness, right? We're, we're supposed to bring wholeness. That one guy, why can't we fix it? Well, it's too much time, too much money. It, it is a lot of time. You know, the homeless situation, you know how much time it takes to get one homeless person off the streets? It takes a lot. I mean, it could take months of seeing and talking with them on a regular basis. And even then, it might not happen. You know, it's a lot of work, but we are shared humanity. So I think it's important to see ourselves as human, you know, and not just murderers, non-murderers, you know. Thieves, non-thieves, whatever. Yes. Well, I mean, there's a lot involved there. I mean, I, I think our actions will, if we don't change our actions, I think our actions become us. You know, so if you will not stop doing bad, then it starts to make you, in a sense, bad. You know, I forget, at one point I did a, a talk on are human beings good or are they bad? And really I went to Jesus' word and, words and he saw them as lost. You know, or are they intrinsically, everyone's, you know, everyone's bad to the core and they're just prolonged bad. Well, then why do we have so many people who aren't Christian, don't believe in God, doing really good things if they're bad? You know, but people are lost, you know, and he saw them as sheep needing a shepherd. And I think... That was, to me, I think, a clarifying moment. People are lost and they need guidance. And, you know, the what we yield ourselves to, because we are all created in the image of God, does that image show up? Do we acknowledge that image or do we rebel against it? If we acknowledge it, then it'll bring us closer to God and it'll bring us to a revelation of who God is, which is Jesus, Right? Jesus is God's revelation. 
to humanity. This is what I am. This is who I am. And so as people see the revelation of God because they were created in his image, it's like, this is what I want to be. This is what humanity should be. Oh, it looks like Jesus. Okay, and that's, I think, where it directs it. Or people who say, yeah, I'm just going to consume. I'm just going to be greedy. I'm going to be prideful. I'm going to get, I'm going to take, and I'm going to use. And pretty soon that becomes who they are. You know, and it kind of develops into that thing where, yeah, it's hard, you know, to deal with someone who's been so hardened. And if they don't change, I don't know what will, you know, change them. Well, and then again, there's a, a respectful way to receive those things. You know, if if we're servants, then we should always be able to act like servants. So even when someone comes up and says, hey, you should do this. Like, thank you for sharing that with me. And, you know, I'll have to think about that. And maybe you have in your mind, yeah, that's not where I want to go or I'm not going to do that. But at least be cordial in how you respond to it, you know, so that because there always needs to be a place of humility um, that we come from. You know, maybe it is a good idea, but sometimes maybe I'm, I mean, my mom, who loves me probably as much as any person on this planet, I was so uh, against listening to her when I was a teenager because I was a teenager, you know. Um, and so she would tell me something and it was like, don't tell me what to do. And, and that's so I moved out when I was 17, you know. Like, I'm going to move out because I don't want to be under, and I was a Christian, you know. I'm going to move out because I don't need you telling me what to do, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, and there's a lot of pride on my part. It was foolish move out when I was 17, it's like, I should have saved money. I should have done so many things, but I wanted to be on my own. But, you know, she, I don't think I agreed with the things she said, but I was proud in how I received them. And so it caused my reaction, where if I wouldn't have been so proud, you know, I would have probably responded in a lot healthier way. One of the things I do when I'm communicating with someone, if someone tells me, you know, of something they did, you know, a friend comes up to me and he says, yeah, I got to tell you something, you know, I just um, stole from my work and I got caught, you know, embezzling some money and I'm going to go to trial and I just, I'm not sure what I'm going to do. And I just wanted to tell you, you know, and it was for, you know, the Little League which is situation really happened, okay? Um, one of the things I do when I'm talking to that person and they do something that I think, how could you take money from kids? You know, first knee-jerk reaction is I think about the worst things I've done and I come from that place and say, okay, this is who I am going to talk to you where you're at. And it helps me not to get that attitude, and so kind of having a mindfulness of who I really am is a good way for me to communicate in an attitude of humility. You know, it's like, okay, I'm going to talk to you about your embezzling the money from the kids. Here's who I am. I'm going to talk to you from there. Instead of like, man, what's wrong with you? And I, I mean, I, I may say what's wrong with you because that's, part of maybe what needs to be said, but it's not going to be to condemn. It's going to be like, I, I know weakness. I, I know struggle. I know you need grace because I need it too. And how can I pull that? How can I pull you up to that? 
instead of beat you down, you know. And, and I think that's important because what we want is restoration. I mean, when my kids mess up, I don't want to just discipline them. I want them to do well. I want to see them get on their feet. I want to see them succeed. I want to see them excel. I want my kids to do better than I've ever done. you know. And if they do better than I am, then I'm happy. And so when they stumble, I don't want to beat them up. I don't want to just you know berate them. I don't want to you know just blast them. It's like I want them to move from here to a better place. How can I help that? And it's difficult, you know, it's not easy, but you're never going to do it unless it comes from a position of humility. You'll never be able to lead someone unless it's from a position of humility. Leading is different than pushing, right? You're leading because you're helping them to get there. Pushing is, hey, get there. Come on, stop doing it. I was pushed so much in my Christianity. Stop doing this, do this, better do that. You better do that. If you're a Christian, you better do that. And they're just pushing me, pushing me, pushing me, but they're not leading me. Are you the person you need to be? Okay. So, but are you the person you want to be right now? I'm not the person I want to be right now. I still want to be more. I think that's, that's should, yeah. So it, that's, that's where you work from. So when someone says, hey, you should do this, you should do this. I know I want to be something more. So I can receive what they're saying, even though it might grate on me. I know I want to be something. Maybe there's a sliver of what they say that can be helpful to me. Maybe it's an attitude. But I think it's important to be careful not to be defensive. Defensive is usually my first reaction that's pride. You and us all, you know, we, we all still have bad habits. If you don't think you do, then I'll go to the study again. You know, get it. But I, I mean... Being aware of that, again, how we, in, how we respond to people shows really what's going on with us. When I respond in a, if my wife says something to me and I respond short to her, why am I responding so curtly to her? What's going on in me that has to respond that way? Instead of like, you shouldn't tell me that, you know, how dare you tell me, you know, I need to lose a few pounds, you know, or whatever it is. She doesn't say that, but um, she should have. Um, you know, whenever something happens, if I act in that way, why am I acting this way? Why am I feeling I have to put defensive up? You're putting me down. I feel these things. Why am I being so defensive? If I was truly humble, I wouldn't be trying to guard myself as much. You know, I could actually stop and say, well, let me see if there's truth. No, I don't see that. I can move on and it not affect me as much as it does unless it's proud. Yeah. I, I would practice being silent. Yeah. I would practice being silent and being gracious. I'd say, thank you. Instead of feeling you have to answer. Yeah. Because that's going to go against that feel of I have to assert myself in this place. Because I think from the things you're sharing that that's kind of a private thing. You know, it's like, hey, don't tell me what to do. I know what's going to do with my life. You don't know what to do with my life. That's the sense I'm getting. And so if you hear that and you start to feel that, practice silence and saying thank you. Thank you. I'll, I'll, I'll think about that. You know, and then maybe you can think about it. Maybe you did and like, yeah, no. You know, I, I've learned the most amazing things from the most unsuspecting sources. You know, I, I've been taught lessons from people who are homeless and drug addicts 
and given wisdom from God from people who were uh, in some of the worst situations in the world. Yeah, but you keep, you keep saying that, that thing and not to press you on it, but I think it's important. You know, these people don't have that. You're making a comparison. And that's where I keep going back to pride is always comparative. They don't have the right, well, but they might have something to say. You know, they don't know where I've been. Yeah, but they still might have a good point. You know, they don't know me. And when you start comparing those things, and I know how it is to get people to tell you what to do and it irk you. I mean, it's happened to me. I think it's happened to all of us. But how we respond tells us more about ourselves than really about them. And instead of worrying about them or comparing myself to them, what humility does is it looks at yourself and says, that person is more important than me. Even though their advice might be out the window. Even though they might, you know, be stealing and using drugs and acting proud because they don't do this, I still have to have an, a, a humility of heart that says, you're more important than me. And I'm going to deal with you as if that's the case, even though you're doing this, acting this way, doing those things. But let's pause. Let's pray. There's some lemons here. So <laughs> lemons and water. But and we can keep talking, but I don't want to just kind of hold everything here. That's 8.30. Thank you, guys. Any, huh? Yeah, definitely we can pray for Terry. Um, I know the last update was, I think, on Sunday. Unless, yeah. Um, yeah, we definitely can be praying for them. Because I know he said there was some movement. And I, I feel sometimes that Dave is, you know, he's just cheering this on. You know, and the team might be losing, but he's going to be the cheerleader, you know, and it might be what takes to turn around. Um, but I worry about them. And so we definitely want to pray for them. So let's pray. Father, we do come before you for Terry, for Dave and our friends, our our family and Lord, the hurt that they are in and have been in for so, so long, God. And we pray for deliverance, God. I don't even know, Lord, what they are going through or how they could have gone through all that they have. And so I pray for strength for them. I pray for hope for them. I pray for clarity for them. I pray that you would give Dave uh, insight, Lord, into all that's happening, not only with the doctors and the treatments, but with Terry. I pray you would give Terry insight into what's happening and, and how she's living in Father, we will stand with them wherever they stand. But Lord, if, if she says enough, Lord, we will stand and hug her and hold her as long as we can, Lord, until you take her. And if she says she wants to fight, we'll stand and we'll fight with her, Lord. But I pray she has the freedom and the comfort to not feel like she's quitting or hurting anybody because she so cares about what other people think and want. Lord, may that not be a part of her decision in any way. Lord, may she move forward with what she has to do for herself in this situation. And I pray that you would strengthen her in whatever that is. God, I don't know. We don't know. You do. So we entrust them to you. And I, I pray for just this time here, Lord, as we talked about pride and we talked about greed and humility and generosity and uh, just 
Lord, may you expose the areas in my life that are still blind to the pride. May you expose the areas where I am still greedy and consuming. Um, And may you help me continue to grow, Father, to be more like Jesus. Lord, there are so many areas that uh, I think constantly are having to be refined. And I do pray we would all grow, God, that we as a community would grow together, that we would be known for our humility, that we would be known for our generosity, Lord. We would be known for listening more than speaking. We would be known for showing compassion instead of trying to be right all the time. Um, Lord, knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. And may we recognize that. May we be built up by this love for you. I thank you for everyone here, Lord. Bless, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You have been listening to the Genesis Podcast. We invite you to join us at one of our weekly gatherings. You can find more information at www.thegenesisstory.com as well as opportunities to help financially support this podcast. Thank you for listening.